Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1, page 1177. In your pew Bibles, page 1177, 1 Timothy 1. With God's help, I want to work our way through these five or six chapters of 1 Timothy Pray that God will bless it. First Timothy one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Grace mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus. Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. That's our text, those first five verses. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be, to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to be his, or appointed me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent, Opponent, But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost sinner, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them... You may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. This is God's word. May he bless it and build us by it, brothers and sisters.
People of God, I want to preach from 1 Timothy for a few reasons. First, because I've been preparing study questions for the young peoples on this book and on 2 Timothy. Second, because it's a manual for church leadership, and I hope God will use this in a special way to equip our men in the congregation for faithful leadership in the church. Third, because right now there's a great need for pastors and missionaries in the body of Christ, and I'm praying that God will use this to stir someone or more than one up in this congregation to go out and serve as a pastor, minister, missionary in the church of Jesus Christ. And fourth, because it contains so much introduction or instruction and encouragement for all the people of God of what it means to be the church. What are the temptations and threats we face? What is the gospel we need to keep us on track? The gospel of salvation. Overall, the theme of this book is bad doctrine leads to speculation, quarreling, and destruction. Godlessness. Bad doctrine leads to godlessness. Sound doctrine, the true gospel, leads to building the church and building everyone who believes. That's really the simple teaching in 1 Timothy. And so Paul's saying to Timothy, preach the false doctrine, which bears much fruit to destroy the false doctrine, which brings bad fruit. Bring, preach the true gospel to destroy the false gospel to build the faith of God's people. But in chapter 1, he's giving a simple call to Timothy, stay at Ephesus, remain there. Maybe uh, Timothy's saying, you know, I, I, I need to get out of here. Uh, this is not a healthy place for me to be right now. We, we don't know what he said, what's in the background. Stay there. Stay there because there's unfinished business. There are false teachers, certain persons, who are trying to lead the church astray. And you need to stay there and fight them with the gospel for the gospel. And he closes chapter 1 with the same thing in verse 18. You must wage the good war. You know, I've already handed over Hymenaeus and Alexander. Well, there, there's, still, there's still more out there that you've got to deal with. So we got three things here under the call. Stay and fight, Timothy. First the call, then the need, and then the aim. The call, the need, and the aim. It's a clear command written from verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope to Timothy, my true child in the faith. What's an apostle? An apostle is someone directly called by the Lord Jesus Christ, not through an election of the church, to serve the people of God for building up the church for finishing Revelation, they wrote the rest of the Bible. It's a one-generation thing. There are no apostles today. If there are churches that say they are, they're lying. They're bringing about new revelations, which are not revelations from God. Beware of them. After the apostles died, they were replaced by pastors, elders, and deacons, who are still called by Christ, but indirectly through the election of the church. Not to bring in new revelation, but to preach the old one. 
and to build on that foundation, Ephesians 2.20, of Christ Jesus, the cornerstone who wrote, who revealed himself through the apostles and prophets. Jesus met Paul after he had ascended. That's why he's called the late-born apostle. The others met him on earth, but Jesus met Paul on the road to Damascus personally and revealed himself to Paul. That's why he's an apostle, by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. And then he trained Paul privately in the deserts of Arabia, the Bible says. We don't know how long that seminary instruction was, but he gave him many revelations and he taught him the truth. He did not learn it from the other disciples. He's not a second-hand apostle. Notice how he's an apostle by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. You see God our Savior and Christ Jesus both issue the same command. The Father and the Son are both God. They're equally God. And God the Father also is our Savior. He sent his Son into the world to bear our sin and punishment and die on the cross and rise again. And whoever believes in Jesus has hope. By the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. If you belong to Christ, what he has done is yours. You are with him in his death. Your sins are nailed to him on the cross. You're with him in his burial. Your old life is done away with. You're with him in his resurrection. You rise with him. You're with him in his ascension. Your citizenship is in heaven. And you're with him in his return and bringing you into a new creation. You're his. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to what a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Christ Jesus, our hope. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have hope. Christ in you, Colossians 1, the hope of glory. And this Paul, appointed by God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope, appointed by his command, he has a spiritual son, Timothy, my true child in the faith. Who's this guy, Timothy? He's probably about 30 at this time. Most likely around 18 when he first heard the gospel. We're not sure of the exact ages. He was raised in a believing Jewish home. His dad was not a believer. He was a Greek. But his mom, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois, they were Jewish believers. They really believed the Old Testament. They had not yet heard the message of Christ until Paul came. And they taught... Timothy, the gospel, when he was a wee little child from infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, faith in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy. To grow up in a covenant home like Timothy is a huge privilege. People of God, you have the power of God unto salvation in your homes, in your hands, and in your hearts. Pass that along. Yeah, but my, my, my husband isn't a supporter. My, he, he's not a believer. Mothers, grandmothers, 
power of God unto salvation is in your hands too. They did this alone. Eunice, Lois, let's not take the gift lightly. Think of guys like John Newton, father and unbeliever, mother, taught in the scriptures and the Westminster Shorter Catechism when he was a little boy. She died, I think, when he was about nine or earlier. He turned into a drunkard and a slave trader. And the Lord Jesus used his mom's instruction later to get him. Bring him to repentance and faith. That's the covenant word. To covenant child gone astray. Brought back. Well, Timothy grew up with the Old Testament promises. And then on the first missionary journey... Paul came to Lystra where Timothy was a child and a young adult. Likely that's the first time he heard of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the finishing up of the Old Testament, the fulfillment, and became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Timothy became his spiritual son. And then he comes back on the second missionary journey. And by that time, We read in Acts 16, Timothy is well spoken of as a disciple, well spoken of by all, a man of good reputation. And Timothy wants to, or Paul wants to take him along on the missionary journey. So he goes along with Timothy or Paul and company on the second missionary journey. And then on the third, and at some point, Paul says to Timothy, and Paul had been at Ephesus a lot. He says to Timothy, you need to stay there. We also read in 1 Timothy 4 that Timothy followed the words of the faith and the sound doctrine. He was not given to twisting the Bible verses to suit his own opinions and agenda. He was not given to being tickled by new and strange doctrines. Because you see, some are prone to follow a new opinion as soon as someone spouts an innovation online. That's exciting. It gives us a sense of power and enlightenment. I heard something new. And then they're tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Not Timothy. By God's grace, not Timothy. But there's a lot of that at Ephesus. There's a new guy out there teaching. Did you read what he wrote? Did you listen to the podcast? And so Ephesus needed an evangelist. An evangelist is a person who tied to the apostles in helping finish up the establishing of churches in the New Testament. That's the call. Remain at Ephesus. Remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. I urged you already when I was in Macedonia. I urge you again. Now, Timothy was timid and he was afraid. We read that through the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy. He was sound, he was faithful, and he was frightened. I cannot handle those people. I am not up to this task. Paul says, You're not, but Christ is. And he gives him this greeting, grace, mercy, and peace 
grace, God's undeserved gifts for you all the time. Call upon him for whatever you need. You've got his grace. I don't deserve, of course, that's why it's called grace, but it's been bought for you through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's passed along to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And mercy too is yours. Mercy is God's pity when he sees us afraid, worried, floundering. His mercy comes with his grace to say, here, you need help right now. You've got his mercy. And you've got his peace, that inner quietness that settles you down when you're afraid, when you're worried, when you're tired, when you're timid. It settles you down. It helps you to stand firm and stay the course. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You've got what you need. Ever thought of that, dads? Ever thought of that, moms? Ever thought of that Christian worker in your workplace, elder, deacon, pastor? In Christ? Because this is not only a, a salutation for Timothy, it's repeated in many places for all God's people. You have the grace, the mercy, and the peace you need. It's yours. He pronounces it upon you. Use it. Believe it. It's yours. Believe him. So now he receives the charge. Verse 3. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any doctrine. And we see secondly the need. There's a great need at Ephesus for you to stay. It's not an easy one. You're fighting wolves. Savage wolves will come in upon you, Paul said to the elders of Ephesus in Acts 20. And they won't spare the, the flock, so this is a fight. It's necessary. It's not an easy one, but it's necessary for the sake of defending, pres preserving, and building the saints, building the church. And that's why it closes on the same note again. If you look up back again at 18 and 19, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. You know, I already got rid of Hymenaeus and Alexander who made shipwreck of their faith. Got rid of. They were... They were excommunicated. So that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Like we're looking for their restoration, their recovery, their repentance. But at this point, they're stubbornly resistant. And we had to put them out. And there's more work to do. Remain there. Remain there. Remain there, he says, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. This is not just in case somebody might be tempted by it. This is not potential danger. This is a real and present danger. And if you jump ahead to verses 6 and 7, you see this is actually going on still in Ephesus. Certain persons, again, we have these certain persons, by swerving from these things... Pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. 
by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either, either what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertion. They're very assertive, but they're also very wrong. And they've wandered into vain discussion. And you need to charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine. That's the main problem. They've wandered into a different doctrine. There's only one true faith. There's only one true doctrine. It's the Bible's doctrine. And no teacher is ever allowed to coin a new doctrine that does not agree with the apostles. That's why John says, test the spirits. If they agree with the apostles, they're good. Because Christ sent them. If they don't, they're false. There is one true faith and no teacher is ever allowed to coin a new doctrine, but only, says Calvin, to cleave to the doctrine taught by Christ through his apostles. When it comes to doctrine, new is not good. Can we remember that? When it comes to doctrine, new is not good. People love innovation. People love new and exciting. And of course, we must always dig deeper into the old doctrines that we already have and discover fresh insights, of course. We got to, says, says Jesus, be the, the steward that digs out of the, 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 the old treasures, things old and things new in terms of finding more and more of the wealth and the truth of the Bible. But new doctrines are different doctrines and different doctrines are false doctrines coming from other sources than the Bible. Don't be tickled by new innovations. This guy has this new teaching. That's the first reason to have a major red flag. Not to get excited. Now, we have two specific things that they were falling into when they were teaching different doctrines. Verse 4, they were devoting themselves to myths, number one, and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. Myths and endless genealogies that promote speculations. They don't promote stewardship from God that is by faith. That is the building up of people's faith just promotes unhealthy speculation. Now we have some ideas what these things were because these men, remember, they aspired to be teachers of the law. We think that these were false Jewish teachers, Jewish rabbis, who were dabbling into extra-biblical mysticism, mystical ideas that came from outside the Old Testament. One example was the book of Jubilees written about 125 before Christ, filled with extended genealogies, and people would fight over whether those names should be included. Just names from oral tradition that were not found in the Old Testament. And the book of Jubilees made up stories, new stories about Old Testament saints 
It was filled with speculations. And it led people away from the truth of the gospel into human imagination and man-made lies. Man-made laws, which were lies. And you remember how Paul had warned the the elders of Ephesus earlier, false teachers will rise from among yourselves, teaching twisted things, drawing people away after themselves. And this never ends. There's been never in the church, history of the church, Old Testament or New, a vacation from different doctrines. Never. And we can't be on vacation either. Like, hey, we're fine. Our doctrine's sound. I can't be led away. I can. You can. A couple of centuries ago, you had the Book of Mormon. Then you had the prophecies of the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Watchtower Society. Not so long ago, in the 90s, we, 1990s, we had a book called The Bible Code, a bestseller. Promised new and amazing insights into the Bible. Through hidden messages, you just need to know how to unlock the code, crack the code. For example, if you take the book of Esther and take every third letter, there's a secret message about prophecy for you. Fascinating. I never knew that. That's amazing. And those who teach these things, of course, are enlightened. They have secrets nobody else knows, and they need you. You need them to unlock it for you. And Christians went after that stuff in droves. Then you had the Da Vinci Code hoax. Oh, said Dan Brown. You know, the early church knew that there were all these extra books of the New Testament. And by conspiracy and by power plays, they hid them so you don't have them. But we found them. (laughs) So, here you go. A whole bunch of new books for the New Testament. A lie. They weren't hidden at all. They just came a hundred years later after the New Testament books, and they were frauds. But all people went after that stuff. Something new and exciting. Did you know? When a different style thing, Norman Vincent Peale in the 1940s in the United States, the power of positive thinking. And suddenly, the power to create lies within your own thoughts and words became the word of faith movement. It's heresy. And Robert Schuller and others bought into that. And the American church, and it's been imported to Canada and all over the world, says, yeah, the power is in you in your thoughts in your words and it branched off into weird heresies like the prosperity gospel and health and wealth gospel today you have the so called reformation project led by Matthew Vines takes every single reference to homosexuality in the whole bible and twist them and reinterpret them to say the Bible approves of homosexuality. Now, when somebody takes every single reference that seems to be against that kind of immorality and says, no, really, Jesus loves it. 
red flag, something's, I think there's a, an outside agenda being imposed. That's not exegesis reading out in the, of the Bible what's in there. It's eisegesis reading into it what's not there. But churches are flocking after Matthew Vines and the Reformation Project. We jump on the bandwagon of myths and speculations and vain discussions that lead many people away from the gospel of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to be wary. If it looks different, sounds different, smells different, it likely is different. The tricky part is they all use the Bible, not the whole Bible, a whole Bible biblical theology. They'll take one verse and use that as a doorway to get you out of the Bible into something else. That's where you got to be careful. Yeah, but he quotes scripture. He uses that as a doorway out of the Bible into something else. That's what a false teacher does. And they lead you away from the sound doctrine. It's a vain discussion. It's a total waste of time. And worse than that, it doesn't build your faith. It destroys it. It makes shipwreck of your faith. One example of that is found in 2 Timothy 2, where Hymenaeus and Philetus have taught that the resurrection of believers has already happened. Did you know that you're already in the new heavens and the new earth? The resurrection has happened and people believe that stuff. As I say, there's never a vacation from this. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, we need the gospel. The whole Bible gospel, the finished work of Christ, revealed in the 66 books of the Bible, the whole Christ, and nothing but the gospel the whole gospel and only the gospel and to dig into that more and more and to know it better and better and not to be led astray from it into distractions into speculations into unhealthy controversies and silly arguments says second timothy i'm leaning on the word of god the written word of god because that's where I discover there's no other argument. There's no other plea. But Jesus Christ shed his blood for me. And all 66 books are written to bring us there. Every word of them, all scriptures God breathed to be profitable for us. To make us men and women of faith built up and the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. We see, thirdly, the aim. Paul's aim for Timothy is not negative. Fight the false teachers. It's not negative only, but positive. Look at verse 5. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Here's the sad story. Timothy's at Ephesus to fight the false teachers and the false doctrine and to give them discernment. But with a positive aim, love. Love for Christ. 
God has done for you in Christ. Wow. Love for the gospel. The gospel is so precious. Love for the church. I want to see the church built up and love for the lost. I want this message to get out. Love for the straying. Call them to repentance and to come back. But when you get to the book of Revelation, a couple decades later, Ephesus, where Timothy was, has lost its first love. They're really good at discernment. We can sniff out a false teacher anywhere. But their love is gone. Their first love is gone. They love their doctrine, but they forgot the doctrine of love. And that's where we can go too, in that wrong direction of seeing the negative. Yeah, we're sniffing out the false teachers and forgetting the positive. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart, a heart that's set on God. And a good conscience, I'm living in repentance and faith. I've got nothing to hide. Look at my life. I've taken the beam out of my own eye so I can deal with the speck in yours. That's a good conscience. And a sincere faith. I'm set on the truth. I'm not pretending. That's the aim of our charge. Love. Because while myths and genealogies do not promote love, but they just promote speculations, controversies, quarreling, and pride that make men go from bad to worse, 2 Timothy 3, the gospel, though it fights false doctrine, builds faith, builds our focus on Christ, our love for the gospel, for the straying, for the lost, for the church. The gospel of Jesus Christ produces love for God and for your neighbor. Do you practice the doctrine of love as much as you love your doctrine? Well, as we continue our way through 1 Timothy, may the Lord give us constantly the ability to hear the call, see the need, and keep going after the right aim. Love from a pure heart with a good conscience and out of a sincere faith. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for good news. Thank you that the good news has the power to fight the bad news and even destroy it. Thank you that the good news also has the power to build a good life, a holy life, a life of love for God and neighbor. We pray, Father, that you would save us by that good news and set our hearts on that good news to live out of that good news and to proclaim it, whatever our calling might be. Thank you for your work in Timothy's life. Make us also your children by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.